0: listening guys welcome back my name is grayson Mann. this is the man with the plan podcast and your friday edition of the podcast maybe you're heading home from fall break considering listening to this podcast while you're on the road maybe stuck in traffic trying to get some chick-fil-a on tiger boulevard considering listening to this podcast there's a lot of ways to listen we're on youtube spotify apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this place and this show will always be available there and updated hopefully weekly just depending on how things are another venue to record the podcast i'm excited about that what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the college football playoff rankings. The first slate It's always the most uh, maybe divisive. That's the word I'll use. And then we're going to talk about my NFL MVP and fire and ice job security within the NFL. But a couple tidbits before we get started. I'm heading up to Notre Dame this weekend. So this podcast is getting recorded beforehand. Very, very excited about that. I think I'm going to try a vlog style of it, but we'll see. It just kind of depends on what I get and what I see. I'm very excited about the experience. And just the overall historical aspect of the fighting Irish and Notre Dame. And then I want to congratulate Coach Myers and the entire Pinewood Preparatory Football Team, staff and players alike. Super excited for you guys. Their first home playoff game against the first Baptist Hurricanes. Their first home playoff game since 2017. Super excited where the program is going in the direction that it's taken. I've actually been a part of the program. I was a graduate, you can call graduate assistant, just helping out the team for two years. So once again, congratulations to Pinewood. Guys, go get it on Friday night. Super excited and best of luck to you. But yeah, without further ado, let's get started with episode 107 and college football playoff rankings. The dust is settled. So let's talk about it. So the college football playoff rankings have been released. They were released on Tuesday night, and the top four is Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson. Surprisingly, tops Michigan for that fourth and final spot. For me, the college football playoff rankings are always so much fun just because we get the mystery, the suspense. ESPN does a fantastic job on there, just like their production of it all. They're kind of like number four, and it's going to be. And then they flash on the screen. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. But the first rankings and then the final rankings that decide everything, those are the most contentious in my mind. So I felt it was important to address them as they followed. So we're not going to talk about every single playoff team or every single top 25 team that was announced on Tuesday night. But I thought it was important just for the sake of this podcast, kind of go through it a little bit. So Tennessee, the volunteers are number one. There have been a lot of number one teams that have historically kind of fallen off as they've been through this rankings, but this is, this is not your grandfather's Tennessee team. This is a really, really strong Tennessee team with a hand and hooker quarterback and very, very dynamic offense. I can't wait to see that matchup in Georgia. Sanford stadium is literally going to be on fire for that matchup. It's going to be Georgia's defense versus Tennessee's offense. Who, which one of that, it's like a balancing act. Who's going to come out on top, which other side of the ball, is going to make an impact. Is it going to be George's offense? Are they going to be able to sustain drives like they have all season? Stetson Bennett, who's been playing much, much better. But which Bulldog team are we going to see? Are we going to see a Bulldog team that dominates against Florida, beats the heck out of Oregon, 49-3, to 3, a top 10 Oregon in the committee's eyes? Or are we going to see a team that let Kent State hang around or a team that let Missouri take them all the way to the final end of the fourth quarter? That is a conversation that is very interesting and I'm very excited about it in the committee everyone's been worried since tennessee won against alabama how is the structure of this 14 playoff going to come together because you got a tennessee team that could very well lose this weekend a georgia team that could very well lose to alabama and all three of them have those one losses and they're all quality teams someone is going to get left out that is a very quality team could it be tcu who's currently still undefeated and could potentially be an undefeated big 12 champion power five champion there's a lot of conversation. How does Clemson or the national media? It's not a sh- surprise to anybody. It's not really a shock or me kind of, and you can see, you know, what I get, what I do besides this podcast, but this isn't a, meant to be like an annoyance. The national media doesn't respect Clemson and that's fine. It's just kind of the, the market and the narrative that's been surrounded by this team for years. This isn't anything new. This isn't just unique to 2022. This has been the conversation in 2018. When they rolled through everybody within the ACC, it's not a strong conference. It's not one of the stronger conferences. You can't really hold it. It's like comparing apples to oranges. The ACC has their strong teams. The SEC has their strong teams, but there is that distinct narrative that Clemson is surrounding, and they need to make a statement this weekend against Notre Dame. They've kind of had they've had big wins. All three of their top twenty-five wins are still in that. They they got Syracuse, Wake, and NC State all within the top 25. Those are big wins. And the committee also respects wins against Florida State, who may I add, beat a top 10 LSU. And that Clemson win was on the road. So they are respecting that. Clemson is 5-0 in their games when they've played teams over 500, where Michigan is 2-0. So the body of work the committee took into value, which I think is important to note when talking about these two teams. And for Michigan and Clemson, it's not about, oh, Michigan's going to get hosed. This is the first ranking. If it was like the second to last, you get a little worried, but Michigan's going to get the chance to play Ohio state in a couple of weeks. Clemson, they win out. They're going to be fine. They're going to be an undefeated power five champion and potentially play a top 10 top 15 UNC with star quarterback Drake may that conversation. We'll put aside for now, Michigan, and Ohio state. They're going to pretty much du- duke it out for the playoff spot because whoever they play in the big 10 West is going to be an inferior opponent. It's going to be that ba- the battle between Michigan and Ohio state in Ohio state payback playoff stakes on the line ideally they're both undefeated going into that i like ohio state personally but i think michigan is a much improved team from last year even with out Aiden Hutchinson and a lot of those guys that declared for the draft there's a lot of interesting narratives another thing i want to tap into before we get into our next segment is i like some sneaky playoff teams uh tcu i feel is being slightly disrespected but i can see why they kind of struggled with the inferior west virginia team on the road that has kind of struggled to find themselves, even with JT Daniels transferring. But they still have they have uh, Max Johnson. and Qu- I think it's Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson, sorry, have been an unstoppable duo, especially within the Big 12 scope. Uh, Quentin Johnson's playing himself into a first-round draft pick for sure, just because the length and the size that he carries and the route running that he possesses, he's very decisive with his routes, and it's made it very easy for Max Duggan to get a rapport with him and for TCU to be undefeated like they are. They have quality wins, and they got another test against Texas Tech within the Big 12. But I would assume TCU would stay undefeated to get to the playoff. And if they go undefeated, I don't see a reason for the committee to deny them because Alabama will be out of the picture by then. They either will lose to LSU this weekend or they'll lose in the SEC championship for TCU to kind of sneak in and take that spot. Because teams are going to start to take care of each other. That's the beauty of this like college football playoff and why I'm not necessarily a fan of it going to 12, six to eight is my, my my line of the sand. But these teams start to take care of each other. The SEC teams start to rip each other off. The Big Ten teams, notably Ohio State and Michigan, they take care of each other. But then there's also that factor of these three teams that I have on here. They got Oregon, USC, and LSU. And you're thinking LSU, well, they have a prime opportunity to take, on, take down the number six team in the country and put themselves on the path for the SEC championship they already beat Ole Miss, who was right outside the top 10, and they could go in and play a high quality at Tennessee team. And mirror, let's let's assume that Tennessee wins out and they play LSU in the SEC Championship. It would almost be like LSU was taking away a loss from their record and redeeming a beatdown in Death Valley against Tennessee, where Hun and Hooker and them came in and just, just did whatever they wanted. Brian Kelly, I think that since then, they've been very efficient with the football. Jaden Daniels has kind of found himself. So I really like this matchup with LSU and Alabama. It is home for LSU. So this could be a statement game where they kind of put themselves on track to be the first lost team to make the playoff, which would be very much a story. That's something right there for you national media people to write about. But then there's the topic of Oregon and USC, who are kind of like the outsiders of the Pac-12. Not like they're outsiders in the Pac-12, but they're within the Pac-12 scope. They have largely been the outsider within the playoff. Utah had a chance. They didn't make it. Oregon had a chance. They fell to Arizona State with Justin Herbert was on the team. They've had Oregon in the national championship with Marcus Mariota, but that's about it. They had Washington in 2016 when Alabama and Bo Scarborough Scarborough ran all over them, but that Pac-12 has been largely out of the national focus when it comes to the playoff. They're almost discarded at the beginning of the season as the one that could get left out. Let's say Oregon finds a way to sneak in. They need Georgia to stay perfect because that loss reminds me of 2018 Ohio state where the only reason in my mind, Bama got in that year where they were, they sat out of the SEC championship and were picked over Ohio state is because of that ugly, ugly loss to Iowa. It's stuck in the CFP committee's minds that loss to Iowa trumped anything that Bama could have done and not be a conference champion. And they ended up winning the national championship. So Oregon's going to need Georgia state. Perfect. They're going to need Georgia to win the SEC so they can sneak in and say, hey, our one loss is to the SEC championship. At SEC champion, granted, it was by a lot of points, but we've changed. We've evolved as a program since then. We've dominated our opponents. Bo Nix is playing like a Heisman candidate. There's a lot of things that can be circulated. It's almost like I'm drawing this like wide circle. It's it's We're not talking about this or this or this. We're talking about the college football playoff. I'm going to give you my initial prediction of who will be left to wrap things up. I think the Pac 12 is not going to have a represent- representative solely because I just think things kind of focus and take care of themselves there. If there's going to be a team that gets left out, it's probably going to be them. I got Tennessee at one. I think they went out and they, I think they went on Saturday and in a convincing fashion. I think Georgia's offense is not going to be able to keep up with Hooker and Tennessee. At two, I've got Ohio State. They're going to get their payback and, uh, in a big way against Michigan, even though I think this Michigan team is much better. At three, I got Clemson. So you set up that Ohio State-Clemson rivalry, which should be very interesting. And then four, I got TCU. They're going to be a team that's going to be undefeated at the end of the season. And they're going to have a lot to say. They're going to have a lot to say within that conversation. But yeah, so if you've got a college football prediction, drop it down below and say, what's your initial thoughts of the first four? As we, we should say, it's almost like March Madness, the first four. <laughs> but yeah. That is our uh, college football playoff rankings. I'm going to take a short break, and then we're going to get into who my NFL MVP candidate is. And fire and ice. We'll be right back. Sometimes the MVP conversation just needs a heck of a story to accelerate it. And we've been on this podcast talking about how much I love great stories. We had a thing about DJ Uyungagulay a couple weeks ago and about his story being one of college football's better ones this season. But this one, we're going to go into the NFL realm. We're going to talk about Geno Smith, and I know you're going to hear me and go, Grayson, are you about to tell me that you think Geno Smith should be an MVP candidate? And I'm like, you're absolutely right. The Seahawks are four and three. They're rolling right now. They're five and three. Sorry, excuse me. They're rolling right now. I'm going to give you some stats in a second, but I just want to kind of set the scene. All right. It's March or April. The NFL trades are booming. Free agency is just begun, and Russell Wilson is on the market to head off to Denver. Broncos country. Let's ride, as we all know, very, very, very well now. And it was between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. We were like, this is going to be the worst team in the NFL. This is the quarterback battle we're getting. Seattle did not draft a quarterback. They've actually drafted really well, and this is part of why they're so successful. Pete Carroll believed in Geno Smith. He won the quarterback battle, and he's been nothing but efficient. This is just a quarterback that has been dinking and dunking the entire season. He's had things to work with. He and DK Metcalf, he and Tyler Lockett be a quality Giants team on Sunday, and he controlled that game. He made some excellent reads, some excellent throws. This isn't the Geno Smith on the Jets that was making really poor decisions with the football. I remember as a little kid, I was watching the Patriots and the Jets play, and it was Geno Smith throwing interception at their interception. There's promise there. Or you can go even way back to when he played in West Virginia and he beat the Clemson Tigers 70-33 to in the Orange Bowl, and him and Tavon Austin just ran through everybody. That was also a story for something. But Geno Smith's career, it's a lot of ups and it's a lot of downs, backup quarterback roles, kind of biding his time. He played under Russell Wilson, I believe it was last year, where he uh, came in for a couple of games and kept them afloat to an extent. But he's really improved as a quarterback. He was like a sponge. He takes everything in. Pete Carroll, whatever whatever article you go to, whatever Twitter feed you want to go to, there's nothing but positivity surrounding him. He hasn't given up. And I think week one, you started to fall in love with him. He had the quote, they wrote me off, but I didn't write them back. And you're just kind of like, yeah, yeah. And even if you want to say, Grayson, maybe MVP is a little too much. Comeback player of the year maybe more of a, probably a fair assessment. But no, I want to go big or go home for this segment. So I just want to read you a couple statistics. They're five and three. They just beat the six and two giants who uh, six and one giants were now six and two. He's got a 72.7 completion percentage, which is one of the top in the NFL, with 13 touchdowns and three interceptions. It's a pretty good ratio, if you ask me. And it's not just purely, like I said, managing the game. And I'm not trying to make this grand thing that he should win the whole thing, because there's quality candidates out there like Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. But I think the story really matters of where Seattle's been. With Russell Wilson. And you also look at what Denver's doing right now. They're three and five. They're struggling to move the ball in offense. And Seattle's almost like picked up an extra step with Geno Smith. They're buying in. He's become a fantastic leader for this team. The culture that is surrounded, it's like kind of Seattle's reinvented themselves and become a new team and a really fun team to watch. Yeah, Geno and them have had their moments, but it's also this learning curve that they had to take together. Uh, really excited about what Geno brings to the table. And that story really matters, guys. It really, truly matters of what we're talking about here. I know the Eagles are 7 no I know the Bills are good. Surprise there. The, the Chiefs are good. Surprise there. But there's a really pure thing to this. And I think someone like Geno Smith, who's gone through so much with the NFL, who's ridden these ups and downs, it's almost like peaks and valleys. And it's finally he's reached that top. The Seahawks are 5-3 and three at their top of the division, which includes the Super Bowl champion Rams, who... They've had their struggles, but they are there's a good team hiding in there somewhere. The 49ers, they're 4-4, four and four and they got Christian McCaffrey, who's on the rise. That's a team that, that Seattle is on top of. They got the Cardinals, who have a ton of talent, which we're going to talk about in a bit, but nothing really to show for. The Seattle team is more than just what they have. They're, they, their hole is greater than the sum of their parts, and Geno Smith is a part of that hole that's brought this together. 13 touchdowns, three interceptions, 72.7 completion percentage. That's better than a lot of these quarterbacks in the league. He's playing better than Aaron Rodgers right now. He's playing better than Tom Brady right now. He's playing better than I'd say 75% of the quarterbacks. He took down Justin Herbert a couple weeks ago in LA granted the Chargers home environment isn't exactly hostile but he's had some signature wins this season, and they've started to pick it up and put it all together. He had that shootout in Detroit against a Lions team that's a very proficient offense. So he's had to kind of carry the load, too, as well. So there's a lot of things you can vote go to as the Seahawks progress and as they kind of just trend to get better. That week one narrative, maybe they lose to Denver and that it kind of all falls apart. But there's that belief in that buying in where Gino has just rallied this team around him. And that's something that's worth watching and something that's really worth celebrating in my eyes if you're an NFL fan. So, Geno Smith, maybe is your MVP. Definitely should get some votes. All right, we're going to talk fire and ice in a second. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to talk about Robert Sala, Mike McCarthy, Cliff Kingsbury, and we're going to talk about Josh McDaniels. And we're going to use four categories, freezing, cold, warm, and on fire you can guess who those are in the comment section i'll give you a high five <laughs> but this is the name of the plan podcast and we'll be right back every single year the nfl head coaching carousel comes and goes whether you have guys coming in people recently fired and retaining new jobs there's always something new and something old everything's kind of coming together and with the nfl season halfway or approaching that halfway mark i felt it was the right time to kind of say who saved their job so far who's in danger of losing it and who's made some progress. So we're going to do four categories. We're going to go freezing, who's completely safe regardless for the rest of the season. Cold, I think they've saved their job, but I think a disastrous finish could potentially hinder their ability to retain their job as coach. Warm, who if they don't act up quick, it could be trouble. And on fire, I believe they will be fired by the end of the season, if not midway through. So we're going to start with freezing. Robert Sala. So I wasn't entirely a big believer in Sala. In 2021, I thought the team had a lot of energy and they fought for him kind of like Dan Campbell, but I felt like he just sometimes didn't get it. And maybe that was Zach Wilson. Maybe that was just kind of the development and the growing pains of the rookie year. But I think in New York, there's a lot of expectations and you can really start to feel the walls caving in, especially if the Jets had finished in a bad spot starting this year. That's completely opposite. Robert Sala has done a fantastic job in year two, making it work. Zach Wilson was out for the first couple weeks of the season and the Jets were able to kind of pick up the pieces with Joe Flacco and they've started to find their identity, which is exactly what Sala is. He's a defensive head coach and this team has this fantastic secondary. They've drafted really, really well. And I think that's something that I underrated going into the season is how well these rookies will play sauce Gardner. Perfect example is playing himself into the defensive rookie of the year. He is phenomenal. He in coverage, understanding of zones, his man coverage too. He's really good. He's a really good cornerback. And usually these first year corners either get toasted or they're really good. And he's found that balance of really he's learned a lot and he's really playing well and he's got kind of an attitude to him. And I really like that. But this team has a lot of energy. They're five and three right now. Yes, they did just lose to the Patriots, but this is a team that I feel like once Zach Wilson is taken care of. I think that their loss on Sunday was almost a blessing in disguise where they can see, yeah, Zach Wilson's probably not a franchise quarterback. If this team gets a quarterback in the offseason through the draft or through free agency or a trade, maybe somebody's disgruntled with a contract. Maybe it's Lamar Jackson. That's just something I'm throwing out there. I'm not saying anything. I'm just throwing it out there. But that's something that, that, that Jets team is one piece away from really contending in a division that's loaded. They've done a great job this year. So freezing for me is Robert Sala. He's done an excellent job in year two. For cold, it was Mike McCarthy. I think Mike McCarthy this year was a make or break in Dallas, especially after last year's disappointing loss. You win the NFC East and you have a home playoff game and you fall to the NFC runner-up in San Francisco. I could see this going one of two ways. I see the Cowboys finishing really strong this year, maybe 13-4, and and they have a home playoff game or they're on the road in the first round. And if they get exposed or they get toasted, and it's another game where they have a ton of penalties that hold them back, I could see Jerry Jones making a hasty move and firing Mike McCarthy, despite the job that he's done, He's saved his job for the most part. They're six and two. They've been able to overcome the Dak Prescott injury, and I think they went three and one or four and one when Cooper Rush was playing in. They've played more efficient. They're running the ball better. The defense is playing really well, as with Micah Parsons spearing that. So there's a lot of good going with Dallas. But the only reason I had him at cold is because I could see Jerry Jones making a hasty move and going, "Hey, we maybe let's say that they play." The NFC South winner and they lose that game. Maybe it's the Atlanta Falcons or it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where there's an inferiority kind of complex there, where the Dallas Cowboys are a much better team and they performed much better in the regular season. Get fall to a Marcus Mariota led Falcons or they fall to a Tom Brady team that's really struggled this year. And Jerry Jones pulls the plug on the Mike McCarthy experiment. Okay, this one I feel really strongly about. This is my warm and it's Cliff Kingsbury. Now he's got a whole lot of nothing. There's a lot of talent there. He had Kyler Murray, the number one overall draft pick. There's just never, I've never been really convinced that Cliff Kingsbury was the guy to solve Arizona's problems. And he's 27, 29 and one as the Arizona Cardinals head coach. It feels like it's the same pattern every year. They start strong. They really make things work. And then after game seven or eight, it just kind of falls apart. And here's an interesting record. I think it's midway through the season. There was a stat. I'm not sure if it's game seven or eight. He's eight and 18 in those like final stretch games where you really need to make things work in November and December. He's fallen apart, most notably last year, where they went 7-0, and and then they finished 3-5 and in that first stretch, and they got blown out by the Rams. That's honestly Cliff Kingsbury's crowning achievement in the NFL, is making the playoffs and getting smoked by the Rams. They won the Super Bowl, sure, but it wasn't even close. The Cardinals weren't competitive at all. And you can make excuses here and there, but it feels like Cliff Kingsbury. He's a fantastic offensive coach. I could see him as a really efficient offensive coordinator in this league, but there's a lot to manage. And I think if the Cardinals miss out on the playoffs this year and in an NFC where there's a lot of openings, there's a lot of teams that are vulnerable. And there's a lot of old guard teams like the Packers and the Buccaneers that are going to leave spots open. The Cardinals need to capitalize. They need to pull together some games so they can make that spot. Cause they got an electric quarterback in Kyler Murray one of the best receivers, if not the best, in DeAndre Hopkins, and a lot of young pieces on defense. This is a team that has a lot going for them, and they really haven't had a lot to show for it. And then my on fire, this is basically my recruitment to get Josh McDaniels back in New England. Josh McDaniels isn't going to work in the NFL, guys. There's a lot of these one-possession losses. I think they have four currently, whether it's questionable decisions against Kansas City, that's the Chargers. It just feels like this team who built so much momentum last year with Rich Passaccia, I honestly felt like they should have hired him to be the head coach just because of everything they went through last year. You had the Henry Ruggs situation, the John Gruden emails. So much happened, and yet they were still able to find a way to get into the playoffs. It just feels like McDaniels, while he's had his injuries on this team, Darren waller has been out. Hunter Renfro's missed time. It feels like he's his inability to get his best players involved has been put on display. Devonte Adams doesn't feel as dominant as they did in Green Bay. I feel like Green Bay made the emphasize, they emphasize each week, we got to get the ball to Devonte. It just feels like he kind of goes to it occasionally. And Devonte is not the focal point of the offense. Or Hunter Memfro is not getting his touches on third down. The running game has certainly improved. Josh Jacobs has been running the ball well. But when you get blanked by the Saints, who are just mightily struggling this year, Michael Thomas, I just read on Twitter, is on the IR again. It's a Saints team that's been so up and down. He can't put up zero points in an NFL game, especially when you're the offensive guy that's been come hired over to be able to kind of solve these problems. And I thought that all that time in new England gave Josh McDaniels time to kind of grow and foster his abilities and the way he handled the Mac Jones situation where he, what we are seeing right now, Mac Jones was very efficient in year one and maybe it's part Patricia in year two, but there's been a definite decline. I think McDaniels scheme really helped Mac Jones become what he did and the NFL became a top 16 quarterback and so I thought okay you go to the Las Vegas you have Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Devonte Adams, so many weapons the Raiders just don't really feel like they have an identity and they don't feel bought in like they're fighting for their coach Rich Passaccia last year felt like every single down the Raiders were must-see football and they just feel kind of up and down so I feel like especially with the track record that Josh McDaniels has he's currently 13 and 22 as an NFL head coach Maybe that Davis gives him more time. I'm just not sure. And I think Josh McDaniels is going to be on the chopping block when the season is all said and done. The AFC West is too competitive. Denver might be starting to figure it out. Kansas City is going to win this division again. The Chargers are going to win enough games to keep you out of a potential spot for a playoff position. I just think Josh McDaniels is going to receive the axe when it comes time for December. Let's say the Raiders drop three straight games. The Raiders are 2-8. Do you have a reason to keep McDaniels around when you know what his track record is? I just not, I'm not sure. And I think the Raiders just need to restart and find a coach that just can buy in or just hire Bissachia what they should have done in the first place. But well, guys, thank you as always for listening to the Man with the Plan podcast. This was episode 107 in another new venue. I'm going to take a break and edit and eat some food because I'm starving. But guys, thank you as always. Good luck to with once again in their playoff game tomorrow on Friday night. I'm recording this on Thursday, which is why I said tomorrow night. Guys, thank you as always. Take care and have a great weekend.